0: Evening, they and they took me home, and I said on the mic as I left, Sam's going to prophesy over you. Well, there were 500 people in the room. When I rung him an hour later, eleven o'clock at night to say, I left my anointing oil on the step. Are you still in the church? He said to me at that point, I've prophesied over sixty people in the last hour alone. So I think that's now our record. If you want to beat our prophecy record at sixty people in an hour and he said he shouted along the line, what did you shout? Well, I
1: shouted up the line. I don't want to know your name, <laughs>
0: So, so I'd be impressed if you can do 16 hours. We then did eight hours of straight prophecy the next day, and then four hours the day after, and then flew home in a snotty, um, uh, exhausted heap. So the fact that he's preaching this morning is nothing short of quite impressive. <laughs> so.
1: Thank you. It was a bonkers weekend, but an amazing weekend. And I got to watch Emma bring some of the weightiest words I think I've ever heard anyone bring in my life. Not just what Emma brought, and that was an absolute privilege. So uh, this morning, we'll try and do this in forty minutes, which means I will speak Glaswegian and fast. I'll try to pronounce my words well because I have so much. uh, If we don't get through it all, I'm speaking at the start of February. Maybe we'll see. Um, And. But really I kind of want to bring now my sense, what I'm hearing God say for 2018, um, and just some of the different words, some of the different uh, things that God is going to do this year. So uh, it's not um, kind of separate from what Emma brought, very much the word of God flows together. And so there should be a sense of overlap, there should be a sense of continuation, uh, and as well as a sense of some new things as well. But let's just recap a little bit to understand where we are right now. I felt God really strongly say that last year was a maturing year. And that last year, God allowed you to go through certain things to mature you to grow you up, and this year he is now starting to distribute what he has built in you, and he is now starting to make readily available the tools that he trained you to, lo- to use last year as he starts to fulfill Habakkuk 2.14, who knows what that says. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. And Yes, last year you had to fight, and yes, last year things did not work out the way that you hoped, but you learned what true warfare was. And God is saying to you through 2017, I taught you how to fight and how to win. And you should now feel more internally resilient than you did before 2017. Because you're not just a believer who occasionally fights and who occasionally engages in warfare when the situation requires, but you are now by default a warrior who fights and wins. And so as you exit this year, and as you enter 2018, and as you start to realize that that anointing's on your life, don't complain about the battle, but instead mirror the Psalm 144, David's worship to God, where he says, thank you God that you trained me how to fight. Thank you that you trained my hands how to war, and my fingers for battle. Thank you that you taught me what true warfare was, and is. So, I really felt, and I kind of shared a little bit around when I taught on fasting, that God had had his people in personal stewardship training, where he was teaching us how to steward our personal self and our hearts. So he let us feel stress, he let us feel anxiety, because he wanted us to feel that. But actually now God is shifting up the gear, and we are in a decade where he is saying, I'm teaching you how to steward nations and territories. And now that we have, and it's progressive, it's not that we stop learning about ourselves, but now that we have come to a place where we know a little bit better how to manage our stress, how to manage our heart's condition, God is saying, now I can trust you with regions. Now I can trust you with nations. And what do we see with Jeremiah? We see God speaking to his heart first before he then says, I'm going to set you over nations. And God says, before you were born. And he deals with his state. He deals with his call before he then raises him up to be a voice to nations. And that is what God has been doing. He's been speaking to your heart. He's been dealing with yourself. Now he's saying, I'm going to take you higher so that you have a wider focus in your life. And God comes and he deals with Jeremiah's illusion of immaturity. Because Jeremiah's first reply is, God, I'm too young. The first thing he replies, God, I'm not mature enough. I'm not mature enough to handle this. I don't know enough. I've not learned enough. I've not been trained well enough. But God says that actually you feel more immature than you actually are. And some of you need to go home and you need to, I was going to do it this morning, but because of time, you need to just spend a moment and you need to say, God, what did I take from 2017? What have I learned from that year? What did you build in me? So that faith starts to rise inside of you, that you've exited a year actually very well equipped. It was a deliverance year. Uh, and God was exposing two, uh, Goliaths in our lives, so, in our personal lives, so that we could kill him and cut off his head. And God allowed you to feel the enemy near you, because Goliath means to expose, it means to see. God allowed you to feel the enemy near you so that you can have triumph over it. Now, let's look forward. So we are moving into the year 2018, but we are a couple of months into what year? Thank you, Emma. 5778. And so, let's look I know I've said we're looking forward, but let's look back at the last couple of Hebrew years. So 5776, that was the year that crossed over between 2015 and 2016. Who remembers the name for two, for that year? Ayin Vav, and that was the year where you staked claim on your future. You warred to stake a claim on it five seven 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 last year what was that title iron zion the saw the year of the ruling sword and that was the year where you fought your way to get you to the door of your future what is this year iron Het, and this is the year Where you move through the door of your future? And so all of the fight and all of the training and even beyond that, and all of the preparation God has done with you over the last five to ten years to get you to this place where he can now say, I trust you with your future. Now it's time to move through and into it. And so in 2018, I want to say an odd statement and I'll explain it. But you have entered into one of the easiest warfare years there has been. But that is not because warfare is decreasing. Actually, it will increase. That is because God trained you so well. And God taught you what it meant to be a warrior. And God taught you what it means to use the sword that was at your side, but you've now raised up. And so you enter into this year as someone who has formed a habit and formed a lifestyle where the way that you talk, the way that you live, the way that you breathe has become a back-off statement to the enemy because of your purity. And you have resisted an enemy, the enemy, for an entire year. And what happens when you resist the enemy? He flees. So the number eight means new beginnings and some hit words because... There's words, and then there's words under words in the Hebrew language, and then there's words that are under words that are under words because it's so layered. And some of those words uh, include... Fresh, new, entirely new, completely new, to make new, to renew. And het is a picture of a door or a gate. It's a door of hope, a door of illumination, and a doorway into your new beginning. It is a doorway of life. And I want to prophesy to you that you are now standing at the door of your future. Not at the door to go back around everything that you've gone around in your past. And you're not entering into what you've entered into too many times before. And I want to say, this really isn't a, eh, behold, God is going to do a new thing in your life type prophetic word that we prophesy all of the time. And you think, when is this new thing going to happen? This is what God is doing to his entire church this year. So, top tip in a year full of Doors. You have to test the door, and you have to test the situation. Why? Because at it, there are many adversaries, and it's often quick to presume or assume that when we get a little bit frustrated or when a little bit of attack comes, oh, we're at a door. Oh, this is us moving through. And we need to ask ourselves the question, ask God the question, is this attack or chaotic circumstance a sign that I have come to my door, or is it an enemy attack, or is it that I got it wrong? And you have to probe it. You have to test the situation. And you need to know these things so that you can act appropriately. But as you come to your door, and as you come to the adversaries that surround your door, you have to tell yourself, I am a warrior. And I learned how to fight, but I've learned how to win. And as you come to this door, there is grace to remember who God made you to be, there is grace to remember. The, the, the person, the call that he's placed on your life, and some of you, your key to get through your door is to say, I choose to remember. And I want to break that lie that it's a new year and a new you. It's not. It's a new year, original you. It's a new year, restored you. It's a new year, finally, you've remembered who God created you to be, you. <laughs> And so Hebrew time, it's circular and it's easy to catch up with uh, the anointings if you feel like you've missed them out. And at some, some people, when I talk to them about this, often feel like they've missed the mark. Oh, well, that year's gone, so I'm not going to learn how to use my sword, particularly if you've never heard of it before. But Hebrew time is often painted as a circle. It's not linear like our time. And so there's time to catch up. And that means there's always redemption of opportunities that you missed out on every single time a new Hebrew year arrives. But let's look at 2018 now. And let me prophesy and touch on just some different things that I believe God is saying. For 2018, I believe God is saying that we have started, we have now entered into the age of the mobilized Church, That we are living in days of glorious advance where God is advancing his purposes through his church and the earth. And he is marking and filling his church with glory. And tucked into these days of glorious advance, which is an anointing for the decade and not just an anointing for a year. I want to say that God is releasing a force of his spirit behind you to get you into your right place place as one who fulfills this call. And this force is building a momentum and it will release to you uninterrupted progress. And I was turning through my Bible just saying, God, where do I look for this? Where do I look for this? And I heard God say, go and read Ezra. And I read the entire book. And as I came to the end, God said, I am releasing a decree. Like I stirred up in King Darius in chapter 6. And King Darius, he decrees this eh, about the people and the rebuilding. Of the temple, he says, their expenses are to be fully paid, and I'll cut some out because it's quite wordy. Their expenses are to be fully paid so that the work will not stop. Whatever is needed, and they list it all. It has to be given to them daily. Not just in one lump sum, but daily without fail. So that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven. And pray for the well-being of the king and his sons. And verse 12 says this. Let it be carried out with diligence. Because I have decreed it. And then... Because the people had heard the decree, the people carried it out with, di- with diligence. The decree worked. It wasn't ethereal. It didn't fail. It worked so that the work will not stop. And this decree released uninterrupted progress to the people. And this is the kind of momentum that you're going to know this year. The momentum is not about moving really, really fast. Although that comes... The momentum is about uninterrupted progress, about putting your hands to some things and not feeling like a situation arises that means you have to take your hands off it. And when I was in Aberdeen, um, I was taken up just one night in the spirit and I started to see Aberdeen. I ministered at a New Year conference and then I started to see Scotland and then started to see Europe. And God had showed me that there was a renewal program that he started in Europe about a decade ago where there was a rush of new buildings, a rush of new programs, but it came to a halt around three years ago. And we saw that particularly with the oil crisis in Aberdeen and there's loads of buildings still surrounded by scaffolding because they've not completed uh, they've not got to completion. And God said, but now I'm starting it again. And what I started in Europe and what I started in Scotland and what I started in Glasgow and in the, in the cities and the nation. He says, even though the enemy brought it to a stop, he says, now I am igniting it again. And God speaks to your personal life. And some of you feel like you got going and you started to move, and you started to enter into the days of your call, but then you came to a stop, and then you came to a standstill, and God is saying, the momentum that I'm releasing behind you, he is saying, won't allow that to happen again. And you yield to God, and you're obedient to him, and as he does that, that force, that dynamis force, comes behind you to drive you into the places that you need to be in. And there are some that God started to work in their life years ago. And he started to stir entrepreneurial dreams. Church dreams. Ministry dreams. Family dreams. And you started to walk into it. And you started to see it happen. But the enemy brought a halt. And God says in 2018, no more. No more. You're moving. And could it be, I was wondering with God, Could it be that King Darius knew that without explicitly saying and decreeing that the work wouldn't be stopped and that there was always to be provision, that the people would have had a tendency maybe to become a little bit lazy, maybe to slow down a little bit and maybe to stand still and God God, through Darius had to say I am decreeing these things so you won't come to stop, so that you won't stand still, so that you'll keep your eyes on what I've called you to do. And so a top tip for decision-making in 2018. I think many of you heard a call like the Israelites did in Joshua chapter 1, verse 11, where God said, get ready, you're about to cross over. But many of you are still standing, thinking, when on earth is that going to happen? And God says, right now at this point, ask me to measure and to sift and to weigh your faith. Because God required a faith filled decision and action from Joshua and the people to get across the Jordan River. And they didn't know what they were going to do when their feet touched the ground. They didn't have an instruction book already about every step that they were meant to take once they'd crossed over. In fact, Joshua 4.1 says this, only once absolutely everyone crosses over the Jordan River, then God speaks. Not before are not part of the way through, they didn't stop in the middle of transition, and God gave them strategy. They had to say, I am going to make a courageous decision here, and I'm going to go with the little bit of information that God has given me. And as you do that, once you have entirely yielded to the process, once you've entirely journeyed all of transition, then God comes and he whispers in your ear, now this is what you need to do. A year of courageous decision making. Then God speaks. Not before, not during. Then. Round right about before, uh, between Christmas and New Year, I sat on my laptop um, with uh, prepping a third uh, sermon for ministry in Aberdeen. And I had about a day and I knew what I was going to prep, but it was one of those days I thought, I'm just going to sit and I'm going to type because I need to get it done in one day. And God said to me, as soon as I sat on my laptop, Sam, read what you've written. And I thought, oh, okay. So I turned to my notepad and I started to read all the notes that I'd written about this prophetic word that I was going to bring to Aberdeen. And I thought that's quite enjoyable. I'll refresh it. I'll get excited about what God's going to do in that city. And I turned to my first page in my notebook and started to read. And then he said, "No, Sam, read everything you've written." And I thought, "You've got to be kidding me! I have a day here." And God started to say, I want you to read all the prophetic words that are in your teaching folder. And I want you to start to read all of the times you brought a word of the Lord. And I want you to start to read them and remember. And this odd thing started to happen. And I was in the spirit as well as in the flesh. And every single time I would read a prophetic word, and this is representative not just of me, but of what God is doing in the earth, this stamp came in and said, fulfilled and again fulfilled, and again fulfilled, and again fulfilled, and I spent the entire morning going through everything, and a force came fulfilled, that one fulfilled, and that one fulfilled, and I believe that we are living in the time of the accumulation of prophetic words being fulfilled in the earth and that the prophetic words and the preaches that you feel like you've given and received for the last decade, God is saying you're entering into a time where you're going to be able to feel the fulfillment, where you're going to be able to taste the fulfillment, where you're going to be able to live in the fulfillment and no longer will you feel frustrated by receiving the same prophetic word again or by reading the same one over and over again because you're going to live in the slipstream of God fulfilling. But what excites me even even more about this thing, and I'm excited by fulfilled prophetic words. I was wondering, with God, how much of prophetic ministry that we've seen hasn't necessarily been the cutting edge prophetic word from heaven, but we know that word, God's word, moves throughout the earth. How much of it has just been at times us hearing a word? that God had already spoken that was moving throughout the earth because it hadn't been fulfilled yet and that as we come to God marking fulfilled on prophetic words it means that a new breed of cutting edge prophetic words are now being released into the earth and that we're not going to feel like we're prophesying the the same thing again oh you're not going to move around that mountain again (laughs) you're not going to go around that situation again. We're not going to feel like we're prophesying God is making your heart strong. We're not going to feel like we're just saying the word that is already moving throughout the earth. But God is saying, you need to contend now because as I fulfill my expectation is that there is a people ready and waiting to receive what will be cutting edge with regards to prophetic ministry. But teaching and creativity, there are songs and there are dances and there are sounds, there are poems and there are books, both fiction and non, as the cutting edge voice of the Lord now comes into the earth and a new breed of prophetic People emerge. Bishop Bill Hammond, Tim Hammond, they call it the second wind of the prophetic movement. And that is what it is. And Jeremiah, what does God say to him? Call to me, and I will answer, and I will show you great and unsearchable things. I will show you what the earth has yet had an eye to see. I won't give you the prophetic words that the earth has already received, I won't cause you to prophesy what has already been prophesied call to me and I will answer and show you great and unsearchable things so God is fulfilling his word but he is also releasing new words some of you might need to go through and start to read some prophetic words that you've had and start to decree fulfillment, fulfillment, fulfillment and start to contend over them that they come to pass so let me kind of Dying out on a, a prophetic word that I guess I've been carrying. Well, I, the first time I read the verse was when I was 15. And it hit me. And at that point, I was waiting and have been waiting for a moment where I could teach it out. And I could start to prophesy it. I believe that in 2007, eh, 2018, not 2017 that God is going to start to stir a good and godly social media revival in the earth. And in the manner that the printing press fueled the second reformation, so social media will fuel this reformation and that in the earth God is raising up heralds of truth that's what he uses the language he uses uh, when he speaks to me about them and they won't love the platform but they won't be scared of it either and they will be young men and women who will be humble yet confident in truth and revelation and through social media they will communicate an undiluted gospel to the earth not a diluted gospel to the earth And I heard God so much saying, the world needs to see me speaking to the church. The world needs to see me speaking to the church. And he said, as the world sees me speaking to my people, the world will start to trust the church again. I thought, what a peculiar statement. But God is making his church visible again. Not just heard, but visible. The Israelites, they've only been out of Egypt for about three months And at this point, you'd find them camping at the foot of Mount Sinai. And this was after the greatest victory, the greatest warfare season that they'd ever lived in. Following Moses, they probably felt a little bit directionless. Maybe they didn't know where they were heading, nor fully understanding the journey that they were now to embark on. Their hope was probably dwindling, their feet sore and probably bleeding. And I could imagine them like kids asking Moses all the time, are we there yet? And while Moses was up ahead, I'm sure he could he could hear the distant crowds bickering and gossiping, and maybe sadness followed him. Maybe he was completely unaware of this altogether because he was so convinced by the call of God in his life. Or maybe he just brushed it off his shoulder. But these people who were probably a little bit lost and these people who probably didn't know what to do they had a leader Moses a man who knew where to go and a man who knew how to hear god he'd already met god at the burning bush and he'd already seen god's snake eat pharaoh's snake he'd he'd saw he'd, he'd been there when the sea turned to blood and he knew what God sounded like. And he knew where to go to win back the people's trust. Not to trust him, but to trust God who is leading him. In Exodus 19:9, 9, my favorite verse says this. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud. And the people will hear when I speak with you. And they will believe you forever. And Exodus 9 verse 18 says this, All of the people, they witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains shaking. And Moses knew that he needed a manifestation of the glory of God on him and around him that the people would see and that the people would hear so that they would follow him for the journey that God had set ahead of him. And the world may not trust us and they may not necessarily look to us for leadership, but God is bringing to us this year and in this decade a seen glory. And this seen glory will bring and cause the nations of the earth to trust God in us. And his strategy for a prodigal earth? Seen glory. And God ensured that his nature was seen by the people so that his ambassador, his spokesperson in the earth who he had appointed to govern Moses would be trusted to lead them into their promise fulfilled. And God says this to Moses, Moses, I am going to give you, and I'm going to talk to you with visual representations and manifestations so that the people hear and see, and this way they will follow your leadership and instruction. I'm going to give you visual manifestations and representations. And there is a seen expression coming to the prophetic movement, but also the church movement and the earth. And we're talking both art and people. And God is bringing as a gift visual elements into the church so that his word is heard. The world needs to see me speaking to you for them to trust you. The world needs to see my voice. And the church will not be heard as a distant moan, but it will be seen as a present, relevant cutting edge people who don't define who aren't defined by culture but define culture I don't know about your Facebook habits uh, if you have it or not maybe you don't use it Maybe you love reading every single post that's on Facebook I certainly do not because most of it is rubbish but maybe like me you spend probably wrongly sometimes an hour <laughs> sometimes a couple of minutes scrolling through Facebook and you keep scrolling. And you stop only when something grabs your attention. Only when something appears on your news news feed that looks like you've never seen it before. You don't stop and read every status. I mean, if you're really lovely, you might. And you might comment a really lovely thing on it. I do not. I only stop for what is outstanding or for what is peculiar or for what looks like something that I don't have a grid for because I haven't seen it in the past And you stumble upon posts that catch your attention. And usually, if I'm honest, they're not the slick posts. They're not the perfectly designed videos. They're not the beautifully written pieces, uh, statuses. But they are the things that are highly creative and highly authentic. And they always attract attention. And we're not talking about hipster church We're not talking about modern church because that often looks like everything else that's out there and they're often the posts that I scroll past. But we're talking about glory church, unique church, a church of communication that is cutting edge. So what does this actually mean? And some of you will have heard this, but I think it's important to kind of anchor this in a little bit of teaching. I think we often have this understanding that glory is an ethereal, unseen, which often at times it is distant manifestation of God. And rather than the violent winds and the billowing smoke and clouds that we read in Scripture, often our minds may paint a picture of a gentle mist. Or something, oh, the glory. <laughs> and you're looking around <laughs> when someone says that. But actually, God presents in Scripture that when His glory comes people always watch, there's always an audience, and people always encounter him. And his glory, has a seen glory to it? And the New Testament word doxa means to think, to seem, to have the opinion of, but it comes from the word to appear. And the New Testament understanding of of glory is the expression of how God feels and the expression of His character, but the expression of how God wants to appear to His people. And as God pours out His glory, Yes, he comes with a weight and a thickness of who he is, and we saw, we see that in the Transfiguration, that the cloud comes and envelops all who are there. But he also comes to appear and to give an appearance to his thoughts and to his opinions and to his creative ideas, and through us, whom God whom God's glory rises upon, that was a mouthful, whom God's glory rises upon, there is a communication of his values and of his truth that is coming to the earth. And as we do that, the world will watch, will see, and they will trust. And when people look at you, they're meant to see what God thinks. They're meant to understand his opinion on a matter. They are meant to encounter the appearance of a God who is appearing himself through his church to the earth. And being covered in glory is not a far-off ethereal reality, but it is a practical, everyday reality that doesn't just affect your turning up to church, but turns on its head every interaction that you have in every moment of your day. And God is speaking to his church and to the nations in seen ways this year, And news stories, blogs, vlogs, tweets, posts, Instagram posts, songs, poems, pictures, movies, and sounds. And the world will watch and they will trust. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen on you. What's the end of that? Say, Say, darkness is everywhere, but the glory of God will be what on you? Seen. Matthew 5:14 to 16 you are the light of, a war, of the world, a city that is set on a hill but cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light, give permission to yourself to let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The responsibility is on you to let your light shine. And when it's the glory of God that sets you on a hill, people look at you but they see God. When it's production that sets you on a hill, people look at you and see you. And whilst we love and value excellence and production and that only comes up with glory, we want it to be we want to be those who say, Let it be your glory that brings visibility. Let it be your glory that is what makes us seen. Because when it's his glory that makes us seen, people see us, but they see Jesus. So let me conclude. There's a momentum that has been building over the ages. And it has been a pioneering momentum. Momentum. And it's been building again for 500 years since the second reformation of the church, which was the last truly global pioneering moment. And since then, we've seen pioneering often throughout the earth, but they've been pockets. A pioneering movement over here, and then a pioneering movement over here, and then another pioneering movement over there, and we've needed it. Because there's been pioneering of father heart movements, of prophecy, of theology, of mission, of business. And we can all testify to the necessity of all these revelations. But they were pockets. They were clusters. They were groups. But now there is a company and a church that is arising that will be a pioneering people. That they won't just be pockets, but they will be a family. And they will be a bride. And I believe in 2018... We're going to see a salvation epidemic in millennials. And we are going to have the church have to deal with the depression that the enemy has put on them. And we're going to have to say no to suicide that that the enemy has planted in their hearts. And say yes to salvation that God is pressing. And I want to prophesy that this generation, they now stand in a Kairos moment. And you don't need to be of that age to contend for them to turn in the right direction. And they are in a tipping point and as the church we need to embrace and I want to say this about millennials if you get millennials into family they'll stay and millennials always stay in family the problem is getting them into it and often when they've left it's because they've not known family but if we can anchor that and we can contend for that we will see millennials fill our pews again And we're going to see a Daniel 10 prayer and fasting movement. And we're going to see it emerge even from our teenagers. And they won't have been taught about it. They will just have a burning desire to pray and to fast. And they will hear a call and they will drop to their knees. And we will see in the nations of the earth social networking uh, innovations that God will bless. I actually believe that there will be one that will break out in a university in Scotland, uh, probably in the city of Glasgow, a a new social networking, a new form that God will bless as a vehicle for authentic relationship. And God is working to restore morality from generation to generation rather than losing from generation to generation, and I don't know about—I don't if you know—I uh, don't know if you know about this, but millennials are the most teetotal generation that has ever walked the earth. And whilst we point the finger and say what a bad people, actually, they are starting to make some incredibly moral choices. And They are the least sexually active. They are true. Sure they are alone behind their computers. They are. They are. But a first fruit sign of what God wants to start to do. And we'll see church planting movements that will overtake Islamic advance, New Age growth, and the spirit of wrong liberalism. And we'll see another level of educational reform in the nation, in this nation. And I believe it will initially be provoked from the north of Scotland. Because as I went there and started to prophesy this in Aberdeen, he told me at the end uh, that they have had the largest amount of teachers resigning from the entire profession that has ever been in Europe. And I thought, well, what a better place to reform education than Aberdeen. But now is a time for the discipling of the nations. And that is what we have crossed over into. So do you want to stand to your feet? I rattled through that, I know. When did you
0: prophesy about the healing of social media? when did God speak that to you?
1: Initially when I brought family and white inch, but originally
0: yeah, Okay. So so God speaks to some about healing in social media. Did you see what Mark Zuckerberg said on Friday? Did you catch it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg the the founder of Facebook, wiped $4 billion off his share prices by his decision to completely reform the news feed for this generation by saying, I couldn't find, I was trying not to Google too much while you were preaching, but I couldn't find his exact statement. But he wants to remove the adverts and the clickbait and to take the media aspect and the uh, uh, promotional aspect out of the uh, our faces so that we are more orientated to be social and to be family uh, to his own great personal cost Um, and uh, his it's worth uh, finding his statement because i thought his words were particularly christian in how he spoke about the healing of uh, social cohesion and that uh, that people would spend as a result let his aim his aim was this that people would spend less time on social media but that the time they spent on it would be more relationally rewarding that's what the man said A real move of the spirit of God. Yes, it was a real move of the spirit of God in man's heart. Dad's just said, absolutely right. So, so when we're talking about fulfilment, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Friday. Cool. So let's just uh, open our hands out. God, when we hear all these prophetic words, and whilst it's great, we want to pray one simple prayer. God, make us ready. God, make us ready for what you want to do in the nations of the earth. God, make us pure vessels that you trust with seen glory. God, make us those that you look at and say, I am happy and I am. I lovingly give you an expression of my character into the earth. God, would you make us ready as those who, who will give our lives to press in for a new cutting-edge movement of the prophetic and the earth. And as you fulfill, let us not be those who dance or procrastinate just in that for years to come. But God, let us be those who see your sign of fulfillment actually as a sign that now a new breed of heaven-sent, heaven-spoken instruction is coming to the earth. And so we lay our hands on our heart and we just say, heart, be strong. Be strong, heart. We need strong hearts to be able to navigate these uh, years and this decade of glorious advance. At heart, be strong. Be strong, heart. And again, we pray, make us ready. Make us ready. Make us ready. And some of you are just in your prayer times going to have to say, God, what do I need to do? Do to be made ready for this move. What do I need to be do? What do I need to do to uh, to partner with your momentum? To partner with your glory? To partner with your fulfilment? What do I need to do, God? God, make us ready. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.
0: Spear.